It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Uh, Well, on these Thursdays, uh, we're walking through a Bible survey of sorts, uh, which I'm calling the Saga of Scripture, which is just a fun alliteration. Um, And the idea is, uh, just over these first few weeks, we're kind of given a big overview of Scripture. In other words, we're walking through Scripture in kind of like 10 uh, main chunks, or 10 epics, if you will, of looking at the entirety of the storyline of Scripture. Now, it's interesting, as we begin to walk through this, there's going to be a couple of days coming up where it feels like we're going to be running through a huge portion of Scripture. And then there's a day like today, where you're going to go like, we're only covering two chapters. Yes. And yet these two chapters covered technically, you know, the first thousand years or so of human history. So we are covering a lot of time frame, even though it's not a lot of chapters. <laughs> so don't, don't worry, at some point in the near future, we're going to go a lot faster, and we're going to cover like, you know, 12 books in one morning. All right, well, good morning. Uh, so this morning, we're kind of starting everything off, <clears throat> and I'm calling this session in particular the kingdom of the king. In other words, this is the king's desire. This is the king's heart. This is his kingdom and all that he has longed to do and establish uh, from the very beginning. In other words, we're looking at the whole creation scene, which is just beautiful. So as you come into Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, did you know that there's actually two creation accounts recorded in Scripture? Isn't that interesting? Uh, we so often just think of creation as just like, oh, it's creation. But what we have in Scripture is actually two creation accounts. They're not different. They're just two distinct ways of phrasing it. In fact, chapter 1, all the way through the very beginning verses of chapter 2, is the first creation, which is our normal seven-day progression uh, that we think of a creation. <clears throat> but as you get into the very beginning of chapter 2, it, like, it stops and it repeats the creation story but it's from a particular lens. Uh, it's looking at it from basically the idea of God creating man and establishing man, and, and it's from that lens. But it's not, like it's, uh, it's not like, oh, there's this story, and then there's this story. You can pick which one you want. It's one story, but it's two perspectives. Is that making sense? But it's fascinating that God gives us both perspectives. And I think the reason, part of the reason why God gave us two perspectives on this creation account is we have to remember who is writing this creation account. So if, if you think back to this whole scene here, uh, you realize that Moses is writing the book of Genesis. Now, think this through here for a second. Was Moses there during creation? <laughs> no. Everyone good with that? Okay, just checking. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have some major problems. All right, so Moses wasn't there. So how is Moses writing the book of Genesis? Well, obviously, Moses is writing the book of Genesis is because the Spirit of God is giving annunciation to what is taking place. In fact, if we had time, we don't have time, but if we had time, we could literally walk in those first couple of chapters of Genesis, and you could literally show by the Hebrew language itself that it would have been impossible for Moses to have written that on his own. And the reason being is there are some words that are used in the Hebrew in the first two chapters that are misspelled and they're grammatically incorrect. Now, they're spelled correctly and they're grammatically correct to other parts of what Moses writes, and yet here they're incorrect. And what you begin to discover is because they're incorrect, it, uh, 
I don't have time to flesh this all out for you, but uh, there's, there's nuances in it that as you begin to walk through it, you begin to realize that's actually showing forth the realities of creation and the fact that it's being misspelled and nobody in their right mind would, would misspell it. Isn't that cool? It literally shows the supernatural realities of even these first couple of books. So you have the Spirit of God moving upon Moses to write this creation account. And who is Moses writing to? Well, he's writing to the Israelites who are wandering in the wilderness for the 40 years. You remember all this? So here they are wandering, and during those 40 years of wandering, Moses is being commissioned by God to write the first five books of Moses. Now, just ponder this for half a second. You realize that the Israelites just came out of Egypt. And here are the Egyptians, and they have all their gods, and they have all their, you know, their, their pantheon of gods, if you will. And what is the mindset of the pagan gods? Well, the mindset, and you, you can look at the Egyptians, you can look at the Romans, you can look at the Greeks. The mindset of secular culture is you have these gods, and why, why are there humans? The humans are there to serve God, the gods. Uh, the, 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 the humans are there to harvest the wheat. Why? Because the gods need to eat. There's all this kind of stuff. So the humans, then is the, uh, the slaves, if you will, of what the gods want to do. Isn't it fascinating that Moses is writing to the Israelites, and in those first two chapters, the whole emphasis is, you had nothing to do with this. Hey, the reason why God created you was not so that you can go and work for him. It's because he wanted to do something for you. And it is a complete switch of thought process from what the Israelites would have grown up with living in the land of Egypt. That the idea is that, well, see, there's a, there's a whole bunch of gods out there, and, and why did they create humans? Well, they created humans so that we could do their work for them, and they could just relax and just kind of chill. Scripture says, here's the one true God, and Moses says, do you know what that one true God was doing? He created you, and he was doing everything that you needed. That this wasn't, hey, you go work for him. This is, he's actually doing everything for you. Isn't that a fascinating thought? And it is a complete shift of philosophy. So you have to sit here and think, okay, here I am. I'm a good Jew. I just got out of Egypt. I'm wandering the wilderness, and I'm being told our creation story. And a lily would have undergirded, and it would have reset some patterns that the Israelites would have grown up with in the land of Egypt. Some, well, maybe, maybe that is why God created me. Maybe, maybe God created me so that I would have to serve him. And we do get to serve him. But that's not because there's a slave uh, driver. There's not a thumb in our back. This is, oh, out of the pleasure and the delight of our life, I just, want, I just want to serve him. It's a completely different shift. Isn't that beautiful? I just think that's so neat. So the, the creation account starts, Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as we begin to walk through the seven days of creation, oh, you ready for a test? As we walk through the seven days of creation, God begins to speak forth creation. So day one, he wakes up. He doesn't wake up, right? He's always, he's always awake. But he gets up one morning, he kind of stretches. And, oh, all right, I think I'm going to build a world today. And so what does he do? He says, let there be light. And light was created. How much work was that? Not very much, right? I mean, let there be light. That's enough for today. Right? Uh, day two. So, by the way, this would have been a Sunday, right? The first day of the week is a Sunday, and God created light. Now, on day two, God speaks, and he says, oh, what? Did anybody know what God created on day two? 
I'll tell you. It was the division of the skies and the water, which is what we typically call the firmament. That's just a big, fancy word, but it's basically uh, the skies and the waters are separated. So now we have sky and we have all this water stuff. And this is on a Monday, right? And God, God stands up and says, hey, let them be separation. <laughs> Happen. That's enough for today. I love, this is a, I wish I could get my homework done that fast. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> let there be, <laughs> I'm done. That would be so cool. Now, interestingly, on day one, on, on the Sunday, right, God creates light, and it says that there was evening and morning the first day, and God saw that it was good. And there's actually a blessing in the, in, in the day. Uh, here's Monday, the second day of the week. God stands up, and he says, hey, let there be separation. And it was evening and morning the second day. But interestingly, on Monday, there is no blessing. God does not pronounce a blessing on Monday, which com makes complete sense to us. Because who has ever woken up on Monday going, whoa, today's the blessed day? No, it's always like, oh, no, it's a Monday. Yeah, God didn't even bless Mondays, so it <laughs> makes sense to me. That was a joke, just for clarity's sake. Okay. Uh, day three, <clears throat> he literally separates the water from the land. So he creates this land in the midst of the water. And then he speaks into the land, and trees and grass and herbs and all these plants begin to flourish. Now, it's interesting. I had a Hebrew scholar friend of mine who said that when they looked at the Hebrew language of this, it's like God spoke to the earth, and the language in the Hebrew is like the earth responded, and the earth produced trees and grass and, and herbs and all that kind of stuff. In other words, was God creating it? Yes. But it's like he was speaking into the earth, and the earth was like, oh, yeah, I'll, have, I'll give it to you. And the earth was participating and responding to the voice of the Lord, which I think is just very beautiful. So on day three, which is a Tuesday, there was evening and morning the third day, and God saw that it was good. But did you know that he said that twice on Tuesday? Tuesday is considered the day of double blessing. So you have Mondays, which is no blessing, and Tuesdays, they got two blessings. Which is why, by the way, if you look at a typical Jewish concept, most Jewish weddings happen on Tuesdays. Why? Because it's a day of double blessing. In fact, you can actually see that in John chapter 2. Uh, John chapter 2, Jesus comes to this place called Cana of Galilee, and it said that on the third day, which was a Tuesday, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And what day was this couple getting married? It was a Tuesday! Isn't that awesome? So I've decided if I ever get married, do you know what day I'm going to get married on? A Monday. Yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> I think that's funny. So yeah, Monday, the light. Tuesday was the separation of the skies and the water. Wednesday, land was produced, and there's all this grass and trees and all that kind of stuff. On Wednesday, day four, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, you could say, well, then where was the light coming from before this point? I don't know. But what we do know is that God himself is the light, according to the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we don't need the sun or the moon or the stars because God himself is going to be the light. So you could have some conjecture and say, well, maybe God himself was the light on day one, but then what was he before that? <laughs> that puts you in a sticky place. But regardless, there was light. Now, isn't it also interesting that for the grass and the herbs and the trees to flourish, 
in order to have photosynthesis, you need sunlight. And yet the sunlight didn't appear till day four, the day after. It's just a fun thought to think through. Uh, but here we are on day four on Wednesday, the sun, moon, and the stars uh, were created. Now on day five, on Thursday, God fills up the skies with a bunch of birds, and he fills up the waters with a whole bunch of sea creatures. So, you know, he had jellyfish and sharks and whales and dolphins and coral and, uh, you know, the little sea creatures and all those, those kind of things, right? So he fills up the skies and he fills up the waters on day five, on the Thursday. On day six, whoa, what a phenomenal day day six was. God speaks and all these animals begin to flourish. And it's, literally it says it's the cattle, the creeping things, which sounds a little creepy, but the beasts and man, they're all created on day six. So when you look at the land around us and you see all these animals, right, you see the lizards, you know, and you see the big things like rhinos, you know, and you see uh, all the other animals. It's like, obviously, I've been to the zoo recently because uh, I can't think of anything, right? But all the animals, it's not an ad- aardvark and a zebra from... There, I got, I got the both spectrums. <clears throat> right? God created all that stuff on day six. And at the pinnacle of that creation, God creates humanity, which is just a neat thought, isn't it? And it was evening and morning the sixth day, and God saw that it was good. Oh, it was a good day. And then on day seven, he rested. Here's a question. Did God actually need the rest? No. He didn't do much. He just got up one morning and said, ah, oh, let there be light. I'm done. That doesn't take a lot of energy, as far as I know. Right? I've never once turned on a light switch and said, I should go back to bed. Actually, I have said that. <laughs> but the concept is it doesn't take a lot of work, right? So why was God resting? Maybe it wasn't that God was resting because he needed rest. Maybe he was resting because we needed rest. And isn't it a beautiful thought that the first full day of humanity that man experienced was a day of rest? That man didn't start his life with a bunch of work, 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 work. Man started, God created man, and he said, you're starting with rest. And the man's first day was actually a day of rest. I love that thought because that is a picture of a Christian. And so God rested on Saturday, Sabbath day. Now, something to notate, which I just think is kind of neat, is that when you look at days one, two, and three, God creates the light, the sky, and the water, the land, grass, herbs, and trees, you realize that begins to parallel days four, five, and six. In other words, days four, five, and six contain or fill up that which was created in days one, two, and three. So on day one, you have light, but on day four, you have that which contains the light, the sun, moon, and the stars. It's that which holds the light. On day two, you have skies and water, and on day five, you have that which fills up the skies and the water, the birds and the sea creatures. On day three, you have the land being created, and all the herbs and the, the grass and the trees, and then on day six, you have that which fills that up. You have, the, you have the land creatures, you have the monkeys, you have the aardvarks and zebras, right? And you have humanity. So you see this really neat parallel happening, or this filling up, or this completion idea contained uh, in, the, in the creation account itself. Now, just for kicks and giggles really quick, since we live in a very evolutionist society, here's a question for you. Were the days mentioned 
in Genesis 1 and 2, were they literal 24-hour day periods or were they eons? Uh, for example, I've heard this verse quoted so many times in this reference, but 2 Peter 3.8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And I've heard the concept, well, hey, well, maybe it's, maybe it's eons. So maybe, you know, God spoke, and then it took some time, and then he did something else. And there was some time, like a thousand years, eon kind of stuff, and then, is that what was taking place here? Or was it a literal 24-hour day period? I would like to at least propose to you that it was a literal 24-hour day period for a couple of reasons. One, if it was eons, the grass, the herbs, the trees and stuff has a huge problem because there's no photosynthesis taking place, right? So if it's a 1,000 years, that was a good tree, right? Because the, light didn't, or the sunlight didn't show up until day, uh, day four. So there's that issue. But did you know that God actually answers this question for us in the Scripture? Uh, the very first aspect or part of Scripture that was, was written, anybody know what it is? Genesis 1-1 was not the very first thing written in Scripture. Do you know what the first thing written in Scripture was? Here's this man. His name is Moses. Uh, he goes up on this mountain one day, and he's going to be up there for a while. And God, with his own finger, takes a rock and begins to write something down, which we call the Ten Commandments. Does you know that actually happened prior to Moses writing the first five books of Moses? The very first aspect or very first piece of scripture that we have written down was the Ten Commandments, written by God himself. That's pretty awesome. Do you know what God actually says in the Ten Commandments? In Exodus chapter 20, one of the commandments is that you are to remember or to keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why? Because it's holy. Well, why is it holy? Well, listen to what it says. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. <gasps> so I'm to work six days and I'm to rest one of them. Yes. Praise the Lord. Why? Why do I get to rest one of them? Well, he says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. So just as God worked for six days and rested one, guess what you're going to do? Work for six days and rest on one. Now, that word there for day, do you know what it means? In Hebrew, it means a day. How cool is that? And the reason that's important is if you go, no, no, no. A day is like a thousand years. All right, let's apply that to your life. Here is God. He works for 6,000 years, and then he gets to rest for one. Do you know what you get to do in your life? Oh, this is so exciting. You can have a break the moment you work for 6,000 years. Then you can take a, you know, you can take a thousand years off. That makes no sense logically in the passage, right? So the only way you can interpret this passage accurately is that in six literal 24-hour day periods, God created and then he rested for 24 hours. And so what are you called to? To do the same thing. Isn't that neat? That God actually answers that problem? in scripture, by what he himself wrote with his finger. I think that's amazing. <clears throat> so I want to show a Christophany to you. I, I want to kind of walk really quick in this idea of creation, showing Jesus Christ. Because as we keep saying around here, everything in scripture points to Jesus. And even the creation account is a marvelous picture of the redemption and the heart of God toward his people. 
If you remember on day one, <clears throat> day one, God creates and it says that there was evening and morning the first day. Now, in the mind of a Jew, the day starts with evening, right? So we're currently on Thursday, right? Today's Thursday. So tonight, when the sun goes down, for a, in the Jewish perspective, that becomes Friday, right? So at evening time, that starts a whole other day, which is a, it's weird, okay? But the reason they think that way is because of Genesis 1. So day one, God creates, and it says there was evening and morning the first day. In other words, it was the first complete day. Well, when did that day start? Apparently evening, right? It's a little weird. Day two, there was evening and morning the second day. Day uh, Wednesday, evening and morning the third day. Thursday, evening and morning the fourth day. Friday, evening and morning the fifth day. I'm off the days, but Sunday was the first day, Monday. Anyway, sixth day, evening and morning the sixth day. If you look at the chapter two and it gets to the seventh day, it does not say that there was evening and morning the seventh day. That this whole time, there's evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, and then you get to the final day, no evening, morning. And you have to say, why did they forget to include that? Because it wasn't accidental. It was very purposefully not included. Now, was there a literal evening and morning the seventh day? Obviously, right? I mean, presumably. (laughs) Otherwise, I don't know what that day looked like. So there's probably an evening and a morning. But why doesn't it mention it in Scripture? Well, because this idea of evening and morning actually means just, it means far more than just evening and morning. And it's the words in Hebrew, Erev and Boker. And let me just give them to you really quick. Erev, we translate evening, but the word itself actually means obscurity or mixture. And, And the idea is a increasing of entropy. Now, entropy, kids, this is a great word you could learn. Uh, when I was a little kid, my mom would look at me and she would say, Nathan, clean your room. It's a disaster. Right? And I'd be like, Mom, sorry. I didn't intend for this to happen. I cleaned it last week. And over the course of the week, entropy happened. <laughs> well, what's entropy? It's just, it's a, heading toward chaos right? Things, I didn't intend it to happen. It just started getting crazier, and it just started, started getting worse, and it just started getting worse and worse, and now look at it. It's not my fault. Entropy. So next time your parents say, hey, clean your room, you just, entropy. And they'll look at you and say, boker. But, which is the removal of all that. <clears throat> but Erev, this idea of Erev is a heading toward entropy. It's this idea of heading toward chaos. And the reason why it became known as evening, think about this. Uh, evening time comes tonight. It starts getting darker and darker and darker. It's getting harder to see. It's getting obscured. It's, getting, it's, it's, it's heading toward entropy. It's, it's getting chaotic. We don't know what's going on. It's dark. We can't see any longer. And, and we might stub our toe. And I, I can't see clearly. It's, there's, there's this mixture. There's not a lot of light. That's this idea. So in the word itself, this word Erev, where we get the word evening, it's, this, it's heading toward chaos. It's this idea of, well, it's, it's this obscurity and mixture and all that kind of stuff. Now, the word boker is the opposite. Boker is a coming out of entropy. It's, it's, it's you're, you slowly starting to clean your room, and you go, oh, look, there's boker. And your mom goes, woo, praise the Lord, boker. Why? Because no longer is your room in entropy. Now your room is clean before I head back into entropy, right? And so it's this idea that, that as morning begins to break, right, and the sun starts coming out, 
the, the darkness starts to, to evaporate. The, the darkness leaves. You're starting to see more clearly. There's not obscurity any longer. There, there's, there's a clarity in, in the morning. So it becomes discernible or distinguishable. It's visible, which is where we get the word morning. Now think about what is being said in the passage. Here's the first day. <clears throat> and on the first day, where does it start? It starts in Erev. It's a place of chaos. It's a place of entropy. And God speaks into that. And what happens? Boker. There's a restoration that takes place. Something that was in chaos and in the midst of this junk, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this pollution, is really spoken into. And light comes into this, and you're brought into a place of Boker. That is amazing. Do you realize that's what God has done in your life? That here is our lives. It's full of darkness and chaos and and Arab. It's full of entropy. And what has God done? In Jesus, he has spoken into that, and he's brought forth light. Light was really pressed into this. And who is the light? Jesus. He himself is the light. And so you realize that what we begin to follow is that the days of creation is actually a great picture of the sanctification and salvation of our souls. That on the first day, we need light. We need Jesus. But you realize that when that comes in and we go from Arab to Boker, that doesn't mean we're perfected. So on the second day, here's this level of Arab, and God speaks into this level of Arab and brings it to this level of Boker. And then on the third day, God speaks into this level of Arab and brings about this level of Boker. And then on the fourth day, he speaks into this level of Arab and brings it to this level of Boker. And you realize that for six days, Arab, Boker, Arab, Boker, Arab, Boker, Arab, Boker, until the end of creation, and there's no more Arab. There's no more obscurity. There's no more chaos. Creation has been completed. And so why on day seven is there no Arab and Boker mentioned? Because God has already perfected that which started in Erev. Does that make sense to you? What is God doing in my life? Here I am in entropy and chaos and darkness, and light is spoken into that. Jesus comes into my life, and he brings about a restoration. And wow, is that amazing! But I'm not done. Because I need the sanctification of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he needs to speak into where I'm at here, because there's still a measure of chaos and darkness. And he needs to bring about boker in my life. He needs to bring about a purifying and a clarity and sunlight. And then he needs to speak into that level of Arab and bring about a new level of boker. And what is our lives like throughout our life? It's this sanctification process where he's removing the Arab and the entropy of our life and bringing about greater holiness and righteousness in him. And there is coming a day when we're finally going to rest. Oh, praise the Lord. Which means you're going to be dead because I don't think we're going to get there this side of heaven, where there's going to be no more error in our life to fix. Why? Because we have been sanctified to the fullest extent. Does that make sense? I think it's a beautiful picture of redemption, even in the creation account. And I don't know about you, but I need God's boker. I need him to untwist the twistedness. I need him to shine light in the midst of darkness. I need, to ta- I need him to take the chaos on my life and my situation and speak into that and bring about life. A couple other things in terms of creation. Do you know who spoke creation into existence? God did, I know. 
Do you realize that Paul in the New Testament actually gives articulation? And he says, Jesus himself was the one speaking creation into existence. Well, I, I thought Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. I know. But he's always been around. Why? Because he is the triune God. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has always been around. That from the, before the foundations of the world, God was, God was there. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit was there. So yes, Jesus came as a man 2,000 years ago, but he has always been. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's always been there. And Paul says in Colossians that it was for by him, Jesus, that all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Do you realize that Jesus was the one? It's the triune God, I understand that. But Jesus himself in the beginning was speaking into creation and causing creation to happen. It's oh, amazing. <clears throat> now, if you ever want to dive into this topic on a far deeper level, you need to talk to Sandy McConaughey. Sandy McConaughey has a grip on God's eternal purpose like nobody I know. But do you know what? an aspect of God's eternal purpose is. And it seems like there's so many different threads that weave themselves together in this idea of God's eternal purpose. And it is so beautiful. I mean, it's just, it is deep, 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 deep. It's incredible. But if I can summarize God's eternal purpose, even here in the creation account, it was about a kingdom, and it was about a king. That there is this king, God himself, who's establishing a kingdom for his very presence. And so it's this idea that Christ might be seen and glorified in all creation. Do you realize that as God is speaking creation into existence, the, and part of the reality of that dynamic is so that Jesus himself might be seen. One of my favorite guys from Christian history, his name was Ian Thomas. And he used to say it this way, that here is an invisible God who creates a physical, visible world. But how is a physical, visible world going to see and experience an invisible God? Well, they can't. It's going to be difficult. So what does the invisible God do? The invisible God creates a physical, visible man to be the physical, visible expression of an invisible God. Isn't that awesome? So that when the physical, visible world look at the physical, visible man, the physical, visible world would see an invisible God shining himself through the physical, visible man. You tracking? I know that's a lot. <clears throat> In short, here's this God of the universe who wants to be seen, to be loved, to have relationship. He wants the entirety of creation to see him. But he's invisible. So he created humans in his image, to be the reflection or the bearers of who he is. So that when creation would look upon humanity, creation itself would go, wow, look how awesome God is. So as you look at the creation of man then, oh, let me read this. I love this verse. Again, this goes back to God's eternal purpose, that God and Jesus himself would be seen and glorified. Romans eleven thirty six. 36. I said this last week in terms of the whole point of Scripture can be summed up this way. Paul says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Do you know what this all is all about? This is of him, through him, to him, for his glory, praise, and renown. 
This is all about Jesus, folks. What is a creation all about? It's about a kingdom and a king. That the king is established in a kingdom so that he can be praised and worshipped. Why did he create you? So that he could be seen on this earth. So as you look at the creation of man in Genesis, isn't it interesting that when you look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, <clears throat> that we are created in his very image, in God's image. Verse 28 gives four verbs of what you are called to do, which is to be fruitful, to, be, to multiply, to replenish, and to subdue. And then we actually are given two more uh, in chapter 2 when, when uh, Adam is put into the garden. It's to rule and to keep the garden. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week. Uh, verse 29, he gives us dominion over all the plants and the animals. Which is an interesting thought because here is God who has all dominion. And yet he gives us dominion over parts of his kingdom. The aspect of his kingdom on earth. Why? Because we are his image bearers. That the, that the creation is to look upon you and I and go, whoa, there's Jesus. Unfortunately, we failed. <laughs> Quite substantially. Which we're going to talk about next Tuesday morning. And this whole idea of the fall. But do you realize that you were created to be the image bearer of God so that the entire world would see him when they look at your life? By the way, did you know that something happened even before creation took place? Actually, there's several things that happened before creation took place in Scripture, but let me just give you one of them. We're going to look at it here in a couple of weeks. But in Ephesians 1.4, <clears throat> it says, Just as he chose us in him. So it's just as God chose us in Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. Do you realize that before God even spoke, let there be light, you were on his mind. It's a brilliant thought. That he had chosen you. He has hand-selected you even before he said, let there be light. Why? Because he wants you to look just like him, to be holy and blameless before him in love that you are to be his image bearer, that his longing from the beginning is that here's this king who has a kingdom, and that kingdom is a reflection of the king himself. Guess what Jesus did for us? He's restoring us back to that reality so that you and I, as members of his kingdom, can once again look like the king as we are filled with the spirit of the king, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, so good. So let me sum it up by saying this way. And we're going to flesh this out more next, uh, next Thursday as we look at the fall. <clears throat> but do you realize that as humans, we were created for dependency? That, as, as we just mentioned, we are called to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, to, to subdue, to, to keep and to guard. But do you realize that's all done through a heart of dependency? That the source of our life is not us, it's the king. Interestingly, God would create, as he, as he was creating, he spoke and the earth produced animals. And all these animals were created. But for humans, something distinct happened. He took earth, he formed it in, into this like little clay miniature figure. Oh, looks kind of like me. And then he breathed into that his own life and his own spirit. And it became a living soul, a living being. Do you know what you and I are, we are filled. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's how we were created to be. Which means that the Spirit himself is to be our resource. He is to be the engine, if you will, of our life. 
That this isn't I just live independently of him. This is I am really resting in him. Remember, our first day on this planet was rest. That I'm really resting and trusting in him, and I'm depending upon his very life for life. That's a human, as humans were created to be. That this isn't me going out trying to do things for him, as we talked on Tuesday. This is being of him. Why? Because this is all of him, through him, to him, for his praise and glory and renown. So what we're laying the foundation for today is this perfect creation that God created, that he was speaking into entropy and chaos and bringing it into a measure of perfection, 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 and, he, and he's bringing restoration and order in life. Why? Because he is desiring something. It's a kingdom for the king. And that whole kingdom is to be a reflection of the king itself. That the domain of the king is to be a picture of the king. By the way, that's what you are now. So next week, we're going to talk about the fall and the downfall of the fact that here's this perfection that God created, this kingdom for the king, and we rebelled against it and began to set in motion this restoration of the heart of God to redeem and restore that which he originally created for himself. So I hope you can join us. Let's just pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for the fact that I don't have to have this all figured out. My life doesn't have to, that I have to have everything dotted and crossed. I can actually just depend and live in the fullness of your spirit. Lord, thank you that you've spoken into my chaos and my entropy and my error and brought forth light and life. And that your desire for me is to continually speak into the air of, of my life and bring about boker. And Lord, I just thank you that this is all about you. This is about your kingdom and you as the king. For this is truly of you and through you and to you for your praise, renown, and glory. And Lord, I pray that as we go about this week, I ask that, <clears throat> that this wouldn't just be, oh, let us, let us mimic and look like you so that the world sees you. Lord, can we just get so tight with you? Can, can we be so full of your life and your spirit that we can't help but just ooze forth the life of Jesus. That this world would look upon us as you originally intended and they would see you, not because we're trying to mimic and not because we're trying to force something, not because we're trying to act like you, but it's because you are beginning to act your life through us that we become the glove which you shove your hand into. We're the stage upon which you dance. That, Lord, our lives become a reflection of you because it is so full of you. Lord, our world needs that. Lord, thank you for such an opportunity. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.